Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his newsmaking interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. everybody to another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday via podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com or, of course, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and listening each and every week, however you do it. It is greatly appreciated. And welcome to our great audience that listens around the world every Thursday. Remember, the Eddie Trunk Podcast features one interview usually every week from my radio show which is called Trunk Nation and airs every single day on Sirius XM 106 volume every weekday. And you can listen live 2 to 4 Eastern and catch a replay 10 to midnight Eastern or listen to full shows anytime you want on demand on the Sirius XM app. So if you're in the U.S. or Canada and you're not listening on Sirius XM every day or you're not a subscriber, you are missing out on the full enchilada where I'm bringing you uh, live, interactive phones and rock talk and interviews every single day, Monday through Friday. And here on the podcast, you get a little taste, just a tiny little taste of what I'm doing on a daily basis with the regular daily radio show. So come on board with me if you are in the U.S. and Canada and you are not already for Sirius XM. Everybody else around the world, here's a little taste of what uh, what I'm doing on a regular basis. Maybe you follow my social media, you see the photos, you hear me talking about Trunk Nation on volume. Well, the interview you're about to hear is where that originated from. So this week, uh, we are going to check in with Steve Harris, the founding member of Iron Maiden. This is exciting. Steve was in a couple weeks ago on my volume show. I'll share that interview with you coming up very, very soon. Before we get to that, though, the big, 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 big news of the last few days uh, is without a doubt the announcement that Motley Crue is once again going to tour. For some, this is not that big of a deal. For some, it is just so expected that bands never stick to doing farewell tours. For others, and the reason why I have this assessment is I talked to my radio audience all last night about this because I'm recording this open here on the 19th of November on Tuesday, and I spent uh, about three and a half hours of a live national radio show yesterday getting the pulse of what people think about this announcement. And it's pretty uh, unprecedented in the sense that there has never been a band ever that has made a bigger deal 
about doing a farewell tour and not returning from it than Motley Crue. I mean, we're talking the contract, which we anybody with a brain knows was utter nonsense. Uh, we're talking the press conference. They were critical of other bands that come back, a critical of other bands that stay too long at the party. Just calling it like it is. I mean, I, I know the Motley guys, and I like them all very much, but let's be honest. They absolutely exploited to the hilt the fact that they would never do something like this. And here we are, about uh, less than four years, I guess, after they played their last show, coming back for more touring, posting a video of them blowing up the contract and what have you. And I always find when this stuff happens, there are differing feelings about it. There are a number of people who are upset because you got to remember something, as much as everybody, and Motley Crue is not the only band that's ever done this. There are many. As a matter of fact, I can't think of a band that ever played the farewell tour card and actually stayed retired. I don't think the I, there I don't honestly don't think and cannot think of one band that ever did a farewell tour and did not come back. Motley was that band up until a few days ago. So th this is not the first and not the last time. And I, if there is anybody on the planet out there that believes a band when they do a farewell tour, I, I don't know. I got a bridge to sell you. It's, it's utterly laughable at this point. But like I said, Motley made the biggest deal out of never doing this again, and they are. To the point that the headline in Rolling Stone when they ran this story was Motley Crue lies to fans. It was pretty harsh, but in, in essence, I guess, true. So, and look, you're going to hear every time a band does a reunion, whether it's the Black Crows, which we just found out, Rage Against the Machine, My Chemical Romance, Motley Crue, the list goes on and on and on. You're going to hear a, 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 a plethora of reasons why they are reuniting. All of it, maybe there's a tiny fabric of that in it, but let's call it what it is. And I truly hope when Motley talks about this and eventually starts doing press, they will do this. It would be really refreshing if one band actually told the real truth why they are reuniting, and that is for really one reason, money. I mean, let's be brutally honest. It's about money. It always is. It always was, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's about money. Every single reunion tour that has ever taken place takes place because of money. There has never been a reunion tour in history that has taken place because it meant less people and less money. You have promoters, you have more venues, you have more bands on the road than ever before, you have more competition for the live concert dollar than ever before because record sales have gone away. And you have promoters, predominantly the two major promoters we have in the world, Live Nation and AEG, offering gargantuan amounts of money especially to bands that have not been active and have not been burnt out, and there's a little cachet in seeing again. If you can afford to stay away for a while, and you are a major band, and you can afford to go away, whether it's through a 
farewell tour or whether it's through just inactivity and you come back three, four, six years later, you're going to come back to substantially larger offers than you would have had before because it's a new thing. There's only so many times we can see the same bands on these ad mats for festivals. You know who they are. So many of the usual suspects every summer out there on the road, every summer out there at the rock festivals. They need fresh things, and there aren't a lot of brand new bands that can fill that void, so they got to go to the well and find bands that are inactive, and they make them an offer in terms of money that they cannot refuse. That's what this is all about. It is all about money. This is called the music business. Business, that second word, business. Nothing wrong with any of this. Every time I talk like this, I got to preface it by saying this is not me being critical of anyone making money or going for the money grab. I get it. I can't say I would be very different if I was in that situation myself. Somebody's going to offer you $100, $150, $200 million to get off the sofa and go play an hour and a half, five nights a week. You're not going to go take that? I don't know many people would say no to that. So it's always about money, whatever band you're talking about. That's why I find it funny when people are like, oh, it's a, it's a cash grab. Yeah, of course it is. What other reason would anyone be reuniting or, ch- you know, whether it's reuniting out of nothing or changing lineups, whatever. I mean, it's, it is, of course, about the money, despite whatever spin you're going to get. In the case of Motley, oh, there's a new generation of fans, the movie, nonsense. Sure, was there some increased interest from the movie? Sure. New generation of fans, the band's been gone only three, four years. Motley Crue can't play that card, really, because Motley Crue hasn't been gone that long. If Motley was gone 10, 15, 20 years, you could say, oh, yeah, there's a whole new generation of fans. I mean, if you were, you know, if you were 12 when Motley ended, you're 15 or 16 now. I don't I don't see that at all. I mean, I think that that's the, the you know, the, the movie and all that was the convenient sort of way to, to put it out there. The bottom line is Live Nation made them a gargantuan offer that they couldn't say no to. And everybody said, yeah, we're, we'll get we'll get together and go make that money. Still have to wait to see how they're going to put, you know, what spin they're going to put on this whole contract and everything. But we also know what our talking points and hot news stories usually have about a 24 hour shelf life. And what's really interesting here is a few days ago, I put a poll on Twitter, my Twitter feed, at Eddie Trunk, and I wrote on that poll, what are your thoughts about Motley Crue doing a reunion? And my options were thrilled, I'm all in, indifferent, or angry and duped. Because you got to remember something. Every time, you know, Ozzy did his, his first farewell tour in 92, The Who in 82. These bands are still touring. And they all kind of chuckle. Ozzy's doing the No More Tours 2 tour. I mean, we're all tongue-in-cheek, all laughing, right? Well, there are people that believe you when you say you're doing a farewell tour. There are people, when you have a contract saying you're never touring again, that believe you. And there are a lot of people that don't have a lot of money. And those people go to the wall to find a way to go to your final shows because they think and believe you when you say you're never coming back. I took calls about this the other day on my radio show. 
a guy that did everything he could to scrap and claw to go to a final Motley show because he believed it was the last time he was going to be able to see him. He's angry, and I can't blame him. I had a, a lawyer say to me the other day, you know, you could there there could be some cases with bands that continue to do this for class action suits for just, uh, you know, basically duping the public, duping their fans. So, sure, the, the majority of people aren't in that boat, but there's a lot of people that are, that do everything possible to get to a show because, hey, this is the last time I can see my favorite band. And then two, three, four years later, ha, ah, we're back. We just, we, we ripped it up or we forgot about it and we're back, you know. Man, if I, if I was tight on money and I went and did what I had, to, I'd be angry. I'd really be angry. But what supersedes all that every time is that fans are fans. And that's what these artists bank on. They know that at the end of the day, what will override all that is fans being fans and saying, ah, who cares, man? They're back. I'm just excited my band is back. And that's the other side of it. And usually that's the overriding prevailing thought. Ah, oh, who cares? They're back. We got the band back. And I get that too. Now, at the time, this poll that I put up on my Twitter feed, just to tell you what the pulse is of the fans that voted on my Twitter, and I don't do very you know polls very often on the tw- on Twitter, but I thought this would be really accurate. Now, the poll as at the time I'm reading this, the poll has not ended yet, but at Eddie Trunk, I currently have on Twitter, um, out of about two hundred sixty thousand followers, so far at the time I'm reading this, thirteen thousand. 341 have voted. And here's the breakdown. People who are all in, welcome back, Motley Crew, 40%. People who are indifferent, 39%. And people who feel angry and duped about the whole farewell thing, 21%. So that kind of tells the story right there in a very sort of microcosm way. There's your 21% of people who were tight on money and probably went and did everything they had to do to get to that final show, only to find out now a few years later it's not the final show. And then there's people, then the other, amongst the remaining people after 21%, about half are like, yeah, whatever, and the other half are just psyched they got the band back. Really, really fascinating. There's a lot of other levels to this that we will get into. I hope you listen to my radio show. I'll tell you more about it when I can. Right now, I want to tell you more about Pluto TV. They are the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV, never ask for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV, they are the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Just download Pluto TV. Download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. So more things to come out about the whole Motley thing. The massive prevailing rumor out there is that Motley Crue will tour stadiums this summer with Def Leppard and Poison. That is the catalyst for all of this. And you know, every indicator is that is going to be the case. Although at the time I'm doing this podcast, 
That has not officially been announced. Motley has officially announced they will tour, but that part of it has not officially been announced. I suspect that will come a bit down the road as far as an official release with the other two bands and exactly what Motley Crue are doing when they get back together and go out on the road. But 99% of the reports, and I don't even think Motley Crue wanted to announce this so soon. This this leaked through the Howard Stern show that this was happening, and it caught fire, and it became such a huge story that I think Motley just realized we got to tell people we're at least going to tour, and then the aspects of who they're touring with will come out a little down the line, if not already at the time you're hearing this. But every indicator is it's going to be a uh, a stadium type event or they're going to attempt stadiums with Def Leppard and Poison. Poison tours, you know, Poison tours every 2 3 years, so there's some juice there. Def Leppard tours of all of these bands more than anyone. In the last 10 years Def Leppard has been more active than they maybe I can ever remember. I mean, whether it's residencies, touring, I mean they are constantly constantly on the road in different packages every summer and presumably will be once again. They've done an amazing job rebuilding their career uh from from you know, especially in the last 10 years where they stand right now. So it's a you know, it's kind of an 80s retro package if that indeed is the tour. I don't know who closes, Def Leppard or Motley, or they do a flip-flop like Def Leppard did with Journey. All of that to be seen when that tour is officially and formally formally announced. But, you know, I understand all sides of how you would feel about Motley coming back, but I think the prevailing thought with all bands, uh, all fans out there is after all this sort of dissipates, oh, it's great, the band's back, who cares? But I often feel and sympathize for the person who did did whatever they had to do, borrowed money, traveled, whatever, because this is it. I had a guy who called the radio show the other day who was pissed off because he spent thousands on a VIP meet and greet that he really couldn't afford because he knew it was going to be the only chance he was going to be able to do it. And now it's not. <laughs> I mean, you gotta look. You gotta look at all sides of this stuff. It's a very, very difficult uh, thing, and I understand every fan having a different feeling about it. But the one thing, and I've said this repeatedly, is you are absolutely out of your mind if you believe any, any farewell tour. It is such a joke, and has been for so long, and obviously continues to be uh, the biggest. Uh, ploy dupe ticket selling card ever to play even if the bands at the time they're doing it and i'm not saying that bands at the time they're doing a farewell tour don't feel that might be it i'm sure that they inside feel like yeah this is it i don't think it's a calculated thing in most cases but when they're on the sideline for a couple years and offers start coming in and each year get larger and larger they can't and won't say no. They can't and won't leave that money on the table. Nobody has ever left it on the table. All right, so uh, Steve Harris, a band that I've talked to Steve many times about Iron Maiden, and he doesn't feel like Iron Maiden's even close to retiring. He feels there's a lot left in the tank. Steve Harris has so much energy these days. Not only is he doing Iron Maiden, but he's also doing a, his sideband British Lion, 
which he is resurrecting for a second record coming out in January. And Steve dropped by my Sirius XM radio show about a week ago, week and a half ago, to discuss the British Lion Band, their upcoming record, and also to discuss some Iron Maiden stuff. We even took a few phone calls from the audience. Iron Maiden is going to play in 2020, but it's all going to be outside of the U.S. We get into that with Steve. We get into the Legacy of the Beast tour. We get into some fun stuff about a couple moments in Iron Maiden history and also talk about his current band or his side band, I should say, which is what he was predominantly looking to promote, British Lion, who also have tour dates in the U.S., and I'll also be seeing on the upcoming Monsters of Rock cruise, which they are playing on for a second time. So always great when you can have a legend, an icon, and I mean, and I don't use those terms lightly, but Steve Harris checks every box. Steve Harris in the studio, and uh, you'll be hearing from him in a second. I, I was trying to first remember when I first met Steve Harris, and it would have been the number of the beast, because as I sit to you, uh, sit talking to you in my studio, I have a copy of the number of the beast signed by Steve and Bruce, who were in my studio to promote that record back in 1983, when I very first started in radio, which is crazy. And I didn't realize I had this signed to me on my wall. I, I, I didn't realize I had the signatures on here. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, the long, long, long history with Iron Maiden, having first me first saw them on the uh, Killers tour, and then first interviewed them on the number of the Beast and have done stuff with the guys for decades since. And it's always nice to visit with them. So enjoy conversation with Steve Harris. And before we get to it, quick reminder, if you're listening to this uh, podcast on post day, which would be Thursday, the 21st of November. Tonight, if you're in L.A., I'm at the Rainbow for my monthly live SiriusXM broadcast. And it'll be happening 7 to 9 Pacific time, totally free to come in and attend, no ticket needed. The guests are Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters, along with his bandmates Brent Woods and Chris Cheney for his sideband, The Coattail Riders, and Ace Freely, all on the patio tonight at the Rainbow with me, 7 to 9 Pacific. If you're in L.A., come watch the show. Won't cost you a penny. Everybody else, you can listen live on SiriusXM Volume 106, and that'll replay on Friday, 2 to 4 and 10 to midnight Eastern as well. So the latest Trunk Nation L.A. Invasion is tonight at the Rainbow. And then this Saturday, on the 23rd, I'll be at the IDL Ballroom in Tulsa to host an evening with Vixen and the Iron Maidens. Tickets available at the door right up until showtime. Hope you guys come by if you're in Tulsa. Always have a good time in downtown Tulsa. And tonight, or I should say this Saturday night, should be no exception. Everything I got going on is on the homepage of eddytrunk.com where there's music news and all sorts of other good stuff. And also you can please follow on Twitter, which I encourage you to do. If you don't do, if you don't do any social media, but one, please follow on Twitter at Eddie trunk, where I am most active. Also a, an Instagram page that is mine as well at Eddie trunk. And there is a fan page on Facebook, probably do the least there, but Instagram and certainly the most on Twitter just all at my name. All right. We will come back and talk to Steve Harris on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. 
Hey, so excited to welcome Hot Boxing with the legend Mike Tyson to Podcast One and the Podcast One family. Listen as Mike Tyson, the baddest man on the planet, pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds, celebrities, and athletes, along with his cosmic millennial sidekick and former NFLer, Eben Britton. Kid Dynamite dives deep into the issues impacting us all today. This podcast will change the way you see the world. Check out their first two episodes featuring Evander Holyfield and Tip T.I. Harris. Don't miss Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Without further ado, on this week's podcast, the legend, the icon, talking Iron Maiden, talking British Lion, a brand new interview with the one and only Steve Harris. Enjoy. Good to see you, man. Yeah, Angie, mate. How you doing? You making the rounds? Yeah, I'm doing good. You enjoy doing this stuff, this yeah, press and going around and... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I mean, sort of get split up between all of us these days. So, uh, you know, I mean, Bruce and Nico did a fair share these days, so it's... It's, it's, it's all right. It's not too bad. Yeah, how does it work when it comes to Maiden? Because you you guys, I've had Bruce on a bunch. Nico's been on a bunch. You've been on a few times. Do you, do you kind of draw straws every time there's a campaign and figure out who's well, going to go do it? I was just talking about it just now, funny enough, and uh, I like being with Nick because uh, Nico, just, I always liken him to a lot of bowling ball. Funny if you were talking about bowling earlier, but... Going, I bowl him in. He knocks all, knocks all, goes into the room, knocks everyone out of the way, and I come in and clean up. And that's kind of what happens. But uh, you know, uh, you know what he's like. He's such a character, and uh, larger than life character, and it's great because he, he sort of definitely, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, just gets it all going for everyone. You know, it's great. It's really good fun. Well, Nick lives in Nico lives in Florida, and you're saying you have a place in Florida as well. You you're close to each other? You, you, you... We're fairly close, but mine's only just like a small condo because I just go there every now and again you know I don't it's just holiday time I don't really stay there loads of times but yeah he's, he's only up the road really yeah you were saying he's headed to England now probably on the plane in his flip-flops yeah exactly <laughs> yeah Mr. Florida man yeah he's gone over to Manchester at his drum place yeah but but you know one of the greatest interviews I ever had Maiden related and I've been doing this for a long time was Nico was in here with Rod together oh no what a combo especially if they've been on the drink I, I've got, I've got well, a. Nico don't drink anymore, but uh, back in the day, yes, yeah. But it wasn't so much that; it was just, um, it was almost like a married couple bickering the whole time. Oh yeah, it was. I, you've got to hear the audio; it's classic stuff. And Rod and I joke about it all the time, and we had such a good time uh, uh, with that. So, but but I remember when uh, Book of Souls came out, and Bruce did almost all the interviews and all the talking at that point, which I also thought, and I don't know if this was calculated at the time, but Bruce, after coming off of you know, you know, the announcement of him being sick and his cancer, I was surprised to find he was the guy out there going all over the place speaking on behalf of the record. Well, we all did it, but he did uh, more than his fair share, and he, he wanted to do it, so he was really up for doing it, and he's good at it. So um, he's particularly good at doing IDs, and, all, and Nico too, you know, they're both good at all that stuff, so... Um, yeah, but we all do it. But what we usually tend to do is go in pairs. I mean, Bruce tends to go on his own a lot because he sort of likes talking on his own anyway. And um, so that's what we do. And we just split the press around the world with all different areas. Mm. And cover. We can cover a lot more stuff. Well, of course, with Maiden, you've got a bunch of different people who do some talking. What you're here to talk about predominantly today is British Lion, which is very much about, obviously there's other guys in the band, but trying to get something new going, you know you're going to be the guy that's got to take the lead on that. Yeah, you've got to get something going in the first place, and I always say you've got to get people in, and, and then you can prove what you can do. 
Um, but the guys, they're all, you know, really good players. They're really good people. Good, really great songwriters, in my opinion. And uh, so it's just great working with them. And a lot of fun. And it means I can play clubs, which is great. Well, we, I want to get into all that. This, the second British Lion record is coming out in January. It's called The Burning. But for people that have not followed the history of that band, because I know you, I had you on for the first record, which was what year? Wow, it's, it's going seven years ago at least now. I mean, I don't know where time's gone. It's Around crazy. 2012, the first yeah, record, right? Crazy. So that's already seven years ago. Now the second record is coming. But tell the audience the history of British Lion and how this even came to be. Yeah, well, back in the 90s, Graham Leslie, the guitar player, came to me with a tape, and uh, I was really impressed with the tape. It's not any material that we ended up using in British Lion, but I, I really liked it, and so I contacted him. And then he got in contact with Richie Taylor, the singer, and it kind of went from there. And that's when, at that point, that's when I started helping them out. And I, I named the band. They weren't too sure about the name at the time. They thought it maybe was a bit too hard for what they were doing at the time. But um, anyway, we started working on stuff together, and I started managing them and doing all, all kinds of stuff. And then... Basically, it sort of just imploded, unfortunately, and I just thought later on, further down the line, I said to Richie, one day I'm going to do something with this stuff. This stuff has to see the light of day. I think it's too good not to, not to. And so I thought the only way to grab it by the scruff of the neck is to actually be in the band. And that's what we did. So we did the first album and then went out on tour after. We hadn't even played live together before the album. I got up and did a, one song with him at one time in the 90s, but um, arranged a tour in Portugal for him. And I got up in a back up beyond in a place called Salier, it was in the middle of nowhere and but um, unfortunately there's not any video of it but uh, it is what it is but yeah I mean it was just great so and then later on I just thought you know what we're going to go out do some gig do as much gigging as we can with whatever Maiden allows me to gig and um, we'll take it from there and it's because we've done so much gigging around well all over the place now even last year went to Canada uh, South America and Japan for the first time and uh, we've played quite a few tours in Europe now. So the band's just really evolved as a band. So now it's British Lion. It's not Steve Harris' British Lion. Mm. It's just British Lion. So, um, and I'm pleased about that because it, it does feel like a band. I always wanted it to be that anyway. It was always a side project rather than a solo type thing. So um, I'm really pleased the way it's gone. So you told me that uh, Graham, who's in the band, right? Yeah. Graham got you a tape is how this all started. And you heard the material and you liked it. Did you have history with him? Did you know him? No, I didn't know him. He just, uh, and people used to, well, still do give me stuff. They give me CDs and all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's where I'm going. How does, like, because there's probably a million people listening right now saying, hey, how do I get Steve Harris to be in my band and well, like my songs? How did that happen? Yeah, how did he even get to I you? I think back then it was just a bit different, but... Um, Obviously, it was tapes in those days, and it was only two or three songs on the tape. And um, I just was it at a gig just, or a meet and greet no, or what? What I, was do it? You know what? I can't even. Remember. I think it came from a guy that I used to work with years before that in a drawing office. A guy called Tony Fisher. I used to work with. Uh, I used to be an architectural draftsman, and I used to work with him. And he knew Graham, and I think Graham gave him the tape, and he gave it to me. I think that's how it happened. Okay, it's a long time ago, so um, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But and then I just. Because it was come from as well as someone I knew, you know, it's not that I'm going to give it any more credence or anything else, but, you know, I just played it straight away because they wanted an answer, you know, and um, I really liked it. I didn't have to say anything. I just, you know, I always like to encourage people anyway, but it was actually really good quality and good playing. I thought, wow, this is really, you know, top notch. And um, so I contacted him and and then he had a different singer at the time. I can't remember the guy's name, but... Uh, that guy sort of left and did, went on to do something else. And that's when he got with Richie Taylor. And that's when it really started sort of um, getting really interesting. For bands trying to get started all the time, 
they always ask me, you know, what do we need to do? The the look, the image, the name, the photos, the this, the production. The, and I always say to them all the time, sometimes the thing that nobody has the the guts to tell you or whatever is the songs just aren't good enough. It should always, in my view, and I'm not a musician, but correct me if I'm wrong, it should always begin and end with the songs. Always. Always. Always, always tell everyone. It's got to be the material, and that's anything. what connected with totally. you. Totally. Yeah. The lifeblood, I always say, bottom line, is the lifeblood of any band is the songs. If you've got great songs, you've got more than half a chance. But the key is having great songwriters in the band that can create great songs, right? I mean, you, you do you feel it's something that is kind Do you feel... Being and God knows you've written your fair share of amazing songs over the decades. Do you feel that being able to write great songs is something you can learn, or is just something that's kind of instilled in you? Do you know what? I don't really know the answer to that. If I'm honest, um, I think it's just something you have to have a go at and try it. And and which is what I did. I tried it. I didn't really think about too much about whether I was going to be any good at it or not. I just thought I need to write some songs, and no one else was. And and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just have to have a go at myself. And, it, you know, it just worked. But I don't really know how or why. Um, I think some people just have a knack for it. Some people don't. Um, I do find it a bit strange, really, that you have people that are fantastic technical players and yet they don't write songs. Right. And I find that really odd. But I don't know. I suppose if everyone wrote songs, it wouldn't be a good thing either. But, I mean, like the guys in British Lion, for example, they're all really, really, really good, good writers. And Maiden too. They're all really strong writers, and so it's happy days. Really makes makes. I mean, I'm a prolific writer, but having said that, when you've got really powerful writers all around you as well, you know, you know, you're on a good thing. Right. I was going to say because when you hear British Lion, you're attracted to that material, and when you got that tape, Definitely. you had nothing to do with those songs at that point, right? Well, no. I mean, I, I not not that tape, no, right. because we didn't end up using that material. It was a diff- different stuff that he was doing with a different name and everything, but. Um, Later on, when we got involved together, then I was in, involved. But uh, having said that, it, it, it's difficult to get inspired by stuff if you if you're not actually inspired by it. I know it sounds a crazy thing to say, but um, but you know if you've got really strong writers and they're coming up with great ideas that inspire you, then great, you're off and running. Do you remember the very first song you wrote with myself? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was a song called uh, Endless. <laughs> what ended up being it was then called Endless Pit, which is an awful, awful title. <laughs> But it ended up being the riff that was used. I used for uh, Innocent Exile, which ended up on the second Maiden album. Oh, really? Yeah. So it so 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 part of it did surface. Yeah, I used the music. I mean, the lyrics were awful as well. I wasn't too good at lyric writing at the, those days. I got better later on. But uh, yeah, the title was poor. But it just sort of was the first thing that came into mind with the melody, and that's what really kick-started me with having melodies, you know, for vocals, and then just trying to fit words to them. And at first, I, I didn't really. You know, I, I did half decent words, but not. I don't think particularly good words to start with. And I think I got better later on. And I worked more at getting the words better and actually fitting them to the syllable, which drives Bruce mad. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it works. I think because I always used to say to him, "Well, you know, like people after people listen to stuff, a they don't know the stuff from Adam to start with, so they listen to the melody first before they know the words." And of course, these days, you know, Maiden's a global thing anyway, so massive amounts of our audience know English and not even their first language, so it's the melody. It's, that's what it's about. It's all about the melody, but you still got to have decent words. It was Endless Pit ever recorded as a demo? 
actually it was recorded on, it's, I've got a tape of it Yo, I've got a, yeah, I've got yeah, a cassette tape see of it that. yeah it's pretty horrendous sounding but it's a bit, <laughs> bit distorted but I do have a tape somewhere that sounds like it's also would be a great name like if Maiden ever did a show in a club and needed an assumed name yeah, you know yeah just pit yeah tonight endless pit you just which put it in the Maiden font slang, which is Cockney rhyming slang for something else which I won't sign <laughs> <laughs> so so um you you hear this tape you like that you do this record with the band the first british lion record and then you go out and you you tour it i mean you really worked that record i know you were on this show talking about it and you went out and i saw you on the monsters of rock cruise a couple years ago i know you'll be on the next one in february with british lion i remember i told people it's like you know there's steve in the line at the buffet with everybody else on the cruise yeah. ship and you know playing you know the regular stages with everybody else and you kind of referenced this before you you just came off of playing some of the biggest places in the world with Maiden. You like that change? You like to get back to the roots and the clubs and stuff? I actually love it. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy playing small places. And uh, you know, I mean, Maiden bypassed a lot of those places in the early days, it's even in Europe, because we toured with Kiss in 1980, and so we played massive places with them. So next time we went back, we we were headlining some fairly, you know, well, not massive shows, but they were big. They weren't you know, bigger than sort of clubs. So. Um, a lot of the clubs in Europe that I ended up playing with British Lion, I've never played before. And so play, places I always wanted to play, like the Milky Way in Amsterdam and places like that, very famous places, I ended up playing with British Lion. So it's great. Yeah, that's that's cool. You know, it's it fascinates me when people do that. Vivian Campbell, who's a, a good friend, was just on the show a week ago. He's got a side band to Def Leppard. He's playing with a band called Last in Line. He's made two records with them. And this this happened just a month ago. I was at a huge festival in Tennessee where Leopard headlined and the whole massive backstage artist compound was all Leopard, every, you know, 10 trailers for Leopard and you know every amenity you could want. And there's Viv and invites me in. We sit, we have a drink, we're talking before the show. And literally one week later, he played a club in New Jersey with a dressing room with no bathroom in it, with Last in Line. The the complete opposite ends of the world, and he said he loves it. I, I see, it, it, and it, it, but but it really you you have to put yourself into the right mental state. I would think to say, okay, now now I'm going into a whole different environment and be able to really embrace that. I think that would be tough to do after so many decades of playing the big stages. Well, I know he loves it because we did a couple of gigs together in in Europe and uh, when they were small festivals. But uh, so yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. And yeah, we both just love doing it. It's just, it's nice. It's, it's, I mean, I love playing the massive places as well. Of course I do. I absolutely love it. But anywhere, but um, yeah, playing small clubs is, I really like being up close to people. That's why, one of the reasons why we, we've made them, we put in catwalks to start with to try and get close at the audience. And then promoters started putting the barriers further back. So it kind of defeated the object. But um, that's, we were just trying to get close to the audience, even in, in a big gig. And it's just to try and create that atmosphere. And I do think that even we've, we've made in some places, you know, 10, 12,000 seaters or whatever, we have created a sort of almost like a club atmosphere in there with the, with the fans. I mean, our fans are incredible anyway. But um, And then with British Lion, you know, yeah, it, it really is in your face. It's brilliant. I love it. Do you, uh, do you feel that now with a second record about to come out, and we should mention British, British Lion have U.S. dates in theaters and clubs booked and announced. We'll get into all those dates in a second. Also going to play you the lead single from the upcoming British Lion record in this show, so you'll hear some music from the band uh, shortly. But do you, you know what's always amazed me, and I've seen it so often, whether it be with Viv or countless other artists who have 
very common for artists to have a side project of some sort. You really are almost starting all over again from the ground up, aren't you? Because I think a lot of fans assume it's Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. If he does another band, 10,000 people are turning up immediately. You're going to sell a bunch of records. It's not like that. You're really starting right at the ground floor pretty much. Yeah, of course. It doesn't work like that. And uh, in fact, there's a prime example of that. In Europe, we played some shows in Germany and we we sold out a, a club in Essen. Um, bearing in mind we already had played a couple of tours in Germany before that and uh, Essen we did well there and so it's a few hundred but we sold it out you go up the road which is we'll say up the road it's probably 120 miles up the road or whatever it is to Hamburg and the promoter didn't promote it at all he just thought my name was going to sell it and we've never taken anything for granted with British Lion or Maiden either we, we always come in and do press and everything you just can't take anything for granted no matter what level you're at um, but he, he didn't promote it and we had 95 people in there but um, we which is fine. We still played the gig. It's not. We, we're never going to cancel the gig. We still went and did it. And in actual fact, we just almost tried harder because we were trying to prove what people should have been here. You go and tell your mates how good it was. Mm. And um, I was proud of that attitude. Yeah. And you now. I have not. When you played on Monsters of Rock Cruise the first time, the the one the other time, the one time you did it. I was, and you came on my radio show because I do this show from the ship. If you remember, I you remember came that, on yeah. and. Be, both times you played on the ship, I was on the air doing my show live from the ship, so I never got to see you. But I, I talked to a bunch of fans that did, that were on the, the cruise, and they all came back saying nothing but raves about the show, but they also said, man, Steve works that stage like you were on stage at Madison Square Garden or at a stadium. So, so the same energy and intensity you're bringing no matter, as you said, if there's 90 people or 90,000. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what you're there to do. You're there to go out there and give it large, and we do, and we we give 110%, no matter who's there. A little less room for you to run around, though, right? Well, yeah, but <laughs> well, that makes it easier. <laughs> it just just post up on it's the a, monitor. and <laughs> It's also a, a little less time. I think we've, we usually do about an hour and a half with uh, British Lion, but um, and almost two hours with Maiden. But, yeah, I mean, even if we're playing a festival or something like that with British Lion, which we've done a few of those, we got invited to do some of those. And although I wanted to do clubs with them in the first place, I can't turn things like that down for the rest of the guys. And so we did a few things like Wacken and stuff like that, where we played, say, 50 minutes or something like that. And, um, you know, you still go out and give it 110% forever along it is. Um, mm. That's what you're there for. Yeah. All right, we had to take a break. The British Lion album, The Burning, the second one, is the actual release date. Is it January 17th? Yep. January sure. 17th. And is there a pre-order or anything that people should be doing now in order to get it, where we want to send um, them? Yeah, there is, a, There is, but you can buy, if you buy tickets to the gig, you can get a, you automatically get a free download um, code or whatever it is with the, the album as well, So um, with a ticket. So if you buy a ticket for the show, then that comes with it. And I think if you want to buy a hard copy of, of it, then you just pay slightly more, but uh, you still get a really good deal on it. So yeah. yeah, and I'm sure knowing how I am and most metal fans are and Maiden fans, we we love, I still love having a CD. Some people like having vinyl. You actually still want to hold it, but you you will have it. Anybody that buys a ticket is going to get it in some way that they can yeah, listen they'll be, to I get it. Yeah, uh, the, the free the, the included in the price of the ticket, they get the download. And then they can just play slightly extra to get the CD. I'm not sure about the vinyl thing, uh, what the deal is with that one, but um, I'm sure that it's the same sort of thing where you can just play slightly more and, and get the vinyl. Is there a dedicated site for British Lion for people to see the dates and look at the tickets? Yeah, it's uh, www.britishlionuk.com. Okay, easy enough. British Lion 
uk.com is where you go see the tour dates uh, there are they are a bunch here in the u.s coming up and then as steve just said if you buy tickets you'll get access to the album and then obviously you can get a physical copy as well if you want to get cd or vinyl or whatever the case may be i think even eight tracks are coming back at this point steve. really <laughs> well i never even had one in the first place well cassettes I a, are i was a cassette man myself <laughs> cassettes cassettes are cassettes actually are becoming something which is crazy yeah yeah they are and and but eight tracks i I always tell this story. I had the guys from Cheap Trick on this show, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And uh, Rick Nielsen hands me an eight track of their new album. And I said, you're kidding me with this. He said, "He said no, we, we made eight tracks. I said, why did you do that? He said, well, when the record's released, at least we could say we had the number one something. <laughs> so, <laughs> typical Good sense of humor for Cheap Trick. You know, <laughs> we had the number answer. one selling eight track. So... But that wouldn't surprise me, given the nostalgia. Everything old seems new again in some ways. So, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back. we got plenty more to come with Steve Harris. Be right back with more with Steve Harris on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. British Lion, the new album, the Burning is out January 17th, BritishLionUK.com for the tour dates to grab the record. If you buy tickets to one of the shows, you will also get uh, a download of the record as well. And you can also see British Lion on board the next Monsters of Rock cruise sailing in February, the second cruise for Steve, doing probably like most bands doing two sets on there over the course of the cruise, right? Yeah. You enjoy being on the ship. We talked about this. You you like the cruises, I huh? I loved it, but I'd never been on one before, so I didn't know what to expect, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I've told you, I told you, I think, when I had you on a, a month or two ago before the Legacy of the Beast tour, if you ever did a maiden cruise, forget about it. It would be beyond crazy. Would you ever entertain something like that? I wouldn't mind doing it, but I'm not sure about the rest of it. I must have to have a word. But... Five other guys, you'd have... <laughs> five yeah. other guys plus Rod, you'd have to convince. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah, that would be crazy because uh, Maiden fans, as you know, is one of the most incredible. You, you know, you have one of the most incredible fan bases anybody that's ever yeah, seen. Unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. Just insane. It really is all all over the world, and it's amazing because I was thinking about this, having just seen you two nights in Brooklyn uh, here at the barclay center all of that and in america at least never a hit single ne- n- virtually no radio airplay and in a way isn't that better because you're you're um, not would you have which do you wish that that maiden had like three or four like classic rock radio hits now or do you prefer it this way where you can play anything in your catalog and the audience pretty much knows it i think for longevity is probably best that you don't have that because then um it's not just something that's like a, a fleeting moment or whatever with a hit single, and then maybe people just get in for that one song. Um, but our fans are not like that anyway, so uh, they'll support anything we do. But um, we've built up over a long period of time, and I suppose we live to tell the tale. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're not going to turn it down, are you? You know, just be honest. I mean, if someone's going to play you on the radio, happy days, but we've never really had any help, so, and we never expected it. So. That's it, isn't it, really? I'm laughing because Rod would say to me every time you've, you guys have put out a record, and I have my one of my very, you'll never remember this, but one of my very first interviews I ever did was with you guys when the number The Beast came out, because I have the record that you signed to me, it framed on my wall to this day. And so that's how long I've been doing this, and Rod said to me more than one time, he goes, 
you're totally messing up my marketing plan playing them on your radio show. You got to stop. <laughs> you got to stop the airplay. You're screwing up our master plan here. But you have had uh, bona fide hits in other parts of the world, right? Like, can I play with madness and things like that? Were well, actually pop hits, right? I wouldn't say that it's really in the true sense of the word because what happens is our hardcore fans used to go out and buy them and they go straight in the chart the first week. They go straight in and then straight back out again. So they weren't really true hits. They didn't stay in the chart for very long. Right. Three or four weeks tops really up the top there and then they'd be dropping straight back down again. But, you know, it's fantastic. Our fans used to so loyal and they'd go straight out, get it, put it in there and it sort of make its mark but not really true hits in the true sense of the word in the sense that, you know other bands pop bands or whatever would have something that would be in the charts for, and get radio play and be in the charts for weeks on end mm. um, so you know but it, it, you know, it is what it is you just take the rough and the smooth and I'm laughing because how how uh, how ironic would it be if British Lion ended up being the one that had the the chart hit well you know what it's funny I was just I said the other day to someone I said well it's about bloody time I had some some radio play of some sort so it wouldn't, wouldn't be bad and I say you, you take it if you get it you take it um, I don't really know if we'll get play if we do it's a bonus isn't it yeah let's talk about the, the new album again The Burning because this is the second record with about seven years apart I listened to the record they sent me in advance to it to me I I I find that I like the songs, the production, the delivery, everything about it better than the first record. Uh, what what were you guys going for with album number two? What was in your mind? Do you felt that the band gelled a little bit more? There was a bit of a cohesiveness about uh, with everybody more? Definitely. I mean, it's seven years of playing together on different tours all around the place and um, evolving as a band. The first album was a stepping stone to just to try and get the thing off off, off the floor, and which it did. And we went out and toured with that album. And you know, I'm, I'm still proud of that album. We produced it in the way that it was supposed to sound like the 70s. It did. Um, this is different. This is this sounds much more like we are now, more live. In fact, we some of the songs we went straight in after doing the tour, and went straight in and just did them, you know, live in the studio afterwards. So it's got a very vibrant feel to it, and it's 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 definitely more how we are now. And I'd still like to do a live album. I talked about that before, but it kind of never ended up happening because uh, of maiden commitments and stuff. But I still like to put a live album up so that you know the, the songs off the first album could be kind of brought up to where we uh, the way we play them now as well because it's a bit different. Now, when you have two records, when you do this next round of touring for British Line, you'll have two records of original material. Do you also play a couple maiden tunes with with British Lion? Or no, no, nothing maiden, nothing at all. Nothing. No. Did you ever? No. So it was always just... We did a couple of covers. Uh, We did um, a song by Trevor Rabin, um, and we did a UFO song. um, Never heard of him. (laughs) No, I never heard of him. I'm joking, because you know I love him. I know you love him. uh, Yeah, I love him too, as everyone knows. Which UFO song did you do? Um, Oh, blimey. I'm trying to... It's caught me now. Um, We used to do it as an encore. Um, I know your daughter covered Natural Thing. I can't believe it. I played played it for the last few years. (laughs) Um, It'll come to you. Yeah. But I know your daughter did Natural Thing when your daughter Lauren was thing, doing yeah. music. And I yeah. asked her, I said, why did you pick that song? She goes, because I heard my dad play it all the time in the house. Yeah, well, I used to play Stranger Than Night, the live album. Yeah. Loved that album. and Well, I loved most of their albums, but that one in particular. And uh, yeah, she ended up playing that. One, since we're on the subject of UFO, one other, one quick, quick question. I got to ask you this. How did it come to be that Dr. Doctor became the song that everybody knows when they hear that coming out of the PA, you're about to come on? 
because we at one point and I can't remember exactly what tour it was but we just thought you know we need to give people a bit of a cue crew and everybody a bit of a cue that the show's almost ready and so we started doing that and then it just stuck and uh, it's just integral part of the show now really it really is it's been going probably at least 20 years right yeah must be that yeah because when you when you hear that come on even if half the arena doesn't know what the song is they know it's the song it's almost like if you go to a broadway theater here and they do the they flash the lights to let you know the show's about to start everybody gets in and people sing along to doctor doctor it's like almost a sports anthem to rev everybody up yeah it's amazing um fantastic song so yeah I, I hope Pete or Phil or Michael have said thank you for that because I think that's putting that thing on the map in a big way. <laughs> I would have thought so. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're almost done anyway. They're wrapping up. I just saw them play here in New York a week or two ago. And, I mean, Phil's 71, 72 still sounds amazing. But they're they're going to end next year oh, after 50 really years. Sad. It is. It is. Actually, he's bumped into them. The same thing with British Lions doing a festival in Spain. And... Uh, we played, and then the following day they were playing, and so they were in the same hotel, and I bumped into them then, yeah. Yeah. So, British Lion, again, the record out, January 17th. The second album is called The Burning. So, um, you know, let's, let's if you don't mind, let's get people... Yeah, let's do it. People would love to say hello I to you. I just remember so. the song, by the way. It was Let It Roll. Oh. Yeah. Such a great song. Yeah. And you guys recorded a cover of Dr. Doctor, right? We when did. Blaze was we've in made, the band. Yeah, with Maiden, yeah. But as a, a B-side of a single, yeah. And you, I remember, of course, one of my favorite covers you ever did was Cross-Eyed Mary. Yeah. And then uh, you also did I Got the Fire, right? Yeah. The sec- Montrose yeah, tune. second Montrose album, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, some great- Everyone had the first one, but not many had the second. Yeah. Paper Money. Yeah. Not, yeah. not, not, not quite- Well, I don't know if you know this, but the riff, uh, Sammy Hagar just released a new album and repurposed the riff to I Got the Fire as a song on his new record. Oh, wow. I'll have to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the song is called Trust Fund Baby on his new record, but he openly admits he just it was a rewrite of I Got the Fire. Wow. But I always thought that was cool that everybody would have assumed, you know, okay, you do rock candy or or what have you, rock the nation, but you went to the second record. Yeah, we used to do that to start off with because uh, we didn't have enough material for the whole set, so whatever songs we had, we just uh, would choose something that was less well known because everyone was doing typical type of songs at the time. Um just by bands like Free or Bad Company or whoever it was. And um, they just all seemed to be doing the same song. So we thought, you know, we're going to just do something a little bit different. Yeah. I'm going to ask you if you can just give me a minute on what's next for Maiden that you can tell the audience. You have dates next year, right? But not in the U.S. Yeah, we're starting uh, stuff in May um, in Australia and Japan because we wanted to take this tour. We thought it was such a strong tour. We want to take it part three to places we haven't been before, like Australia, Japan. So we're doing those. Um, We're doing Manila for the first time. And uh, we're also doing some shows in Europe of some of the cities that we didn't get to do last time. So... If you want to see Maiden and you're in the U.S. and Canada right now, you got to take a little bit of yeah, a flight. You might have to get a yeah, plane ticket or something. But you, but you guys, you never know. Sometimes you guys have done that thing where you're because you, you're on your own plane or whatever. You're kind of passing over the U.S. and you'll drop in for like one yeah, show, maybe. There's not any plans at this time. We've just done a U.S. tour, so that's part two and part three is now doing other parts. So, Did you, have you shot anything on this for a, a DVD? Because I know you've done a lot of those. We've been shooting lots of stuff. So, yeah, we'll see what we've got at the end of it. I think we're probably going to do a big shoot next time around. Yeah. Because I love that you guys, in, in for a lot of your tours, have documented it with a live album and a, and a DVD. I think that's a great, great thing to have to remember that tour to have something professionally recorded like that. 
Yeah, I mean, we record most stuff these days. Yeah. I think we learned the lesson from the 86 tour of, <laughs> of uh, not recording yeah. the tour. And so I think every, we recorded most things now. All right. Steve Harris is here for about 15 more minutes. we got to do our top of the hour break. When we come back, we'll let you guys talk to Steve. Again, British Lion is what he's promoting, the new album, The Burning Out, on January 17th. And a U.S. tour for that band which you can find out at BritishLionUK.com. And you will hear the lead single from the new album, Lightning, when we let Steve make his way out of here in about 20 minutes. But more with Steve. We turn it over to you next on Trunk Nation. It's funny, uh, Steve was just recording some liners for us, and he said, well, wait a minute, what do I say now, Iron Maiden or British Lion? (laughs) He's got two identities right now. Uh, Of course, everybody knows Steve from Maiden, but getting the word out about his new side project, British Lion, which, of course, as I mentioned, the second album coming out on January 17th. Tour dates at BritishLionUK.com. And if you buy tickets to one of the shows, you will also uh, get a chance to get a download of the record. Now, how are you going to work that on the cruise? Because people are on the cruise. They're not there. They're not buying cabins. I'm sure a lot are buying cabins to see you, but... What are you, how are you going to do that one? Well, I think the cruise was all announced way before. So, it's so I was hoping carved it was out, sold out. Not, it's not just for us anyway. It's loads of bands. So I think people, <laughs> it's a bit presumptuous to think they're all coming to see us. But uh, I'm sure they'd think, love a download of the record, though. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not, I haven't really thought about that. I think we better sort, try and get that sorted out. <laughs> Maybe you could put a little, like I know for this radio show, we, we take uh, you know, cards to promote it and they put it on the bed in your cabin. So maybe get a little code of the download and drop it on everybody's beds. Not a bad idea, but right? I think we, yeah, we might need to sort something out. <laughs> Good point. All right. Well, either way, check out the record. I did have a chance to listen to it, and I really did enjoy it. I think it's it's really cool. It's it, You know, it's you listen to British Lion, and you hear, to me, I hear some, some vague, like so, some elements of maybe the more melodic side of Maiden, maybe like the Wasted Years side of Maiden, that sort of melody in the music, but it's, it's, it's totally its own thing, but it's, it, there's stuff in there that would connect to the Maiden fan. Would you agree? I think so. I think there's elements there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think because the influences are the same, really. I mean, UFO, Finnezy, Wishburn Ash, The Who, yeah. all them, they all influence Maiden as well as, as British Lion. So, um, it's elements there, but it is different. It's more rock than metal. We, you mentioned Thin Lizzy, who are finally on a ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know how closely you follow all that sort of stuff, but uh, Lizzy, after years of being snubbed, finally showed up on the ballot. And it's crazy it's taken that long. But Well, I don't really follow that stuff, to be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, they should. Yeah, they should be there. Needless to say, if you don't follow it, then you don't really... Myself and others outraged that Maiden has yet to show up on a ballot. For you, it's kind of out of your hands, obviously. It's not something well, we, you lose it, sleep over. It's not something, no, it's not that really we blase about it. We don't really think about it. It's just, um, you know, we just go out and play to our fans and make albums, and that's what we're worried about. That's what we're here for. We're not really worried about those sort of awards, really. It's very nice if things come along like that, but. It's not. It's not about losing sleep over it. It's just we don't really think about it, to be honest. One last thing for me before I go to the calls on this front. What What do you make? I've noticed. I've read some stuff recently with um, with Rob Halford in the press saying he would love for Priest to play with Maiden again. You envision anything like that ever well, happening? It's funny because uh, I saw that myself, and also apparently someone today said that uh, Ian Hill said something about it. Yeah. As well. So I don't know. I suppose the management's got to get their heads together and have something like that, really. But yeah, why not? 
That stuff always comes down to agents and managers and well, working out that degree. stuff. I mean, I suppose the bands can you know push for it to happen, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, first time I ever saw Maiden was you guys with Priest, Convention Hall, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah, you were on the Killers tour, and they were on point of entry. And I remember my dad took me to the show, and he was waiting outside for me because I didn't drive yet. And he heard Rob come out on the Harley. And he, I walk out. He says. What the hell? I thought I was taking you to a concert. What the hell's going on in there with the bike and everything? <laughs> and I remember being blown away by you guys. That was the first time I saw you. Of course, Deanna was still in the band. And uh, those are, do you have do you have fond memories oh, of those years? Memories, and I really like that album, Point of Entry. Um, uh, some people don't think it's their favorite Priest album, but I, I, I suppose because we was on two of it, I really liked it. Solar Angels, great track on that yeah. record. I love that one. All right, I could talk to Steve forever. Let's get a few calls uh, on for Steve Harris right now. And let's say hello to Al, who's in New Jersey. He's our first caller. What's up, Al? Hey, Al. Well, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Go ahead, man. I appreciate man. it, man. All right. Uh, Steve, it's an honor to talk to you. I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, ever since my older brother let me borrow the number of the beast on cassette, uh, he never got it back, so I think he's still looking for it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Great. Um, my, question, my question for you is, uh, it's kind of an kind of an opposite question of what people would normally ask but uh what's the song in the maiden catalog that you is your least favorite to play or you refuse to play i haven't refused to play anything actually um i think one or two other band members who should remain nameless might have refused to play a couple of songs but that's, <laughs> uh, i haven't refused to play anything so that's all i can say really um i don't really have a least favorite or a favorite either really i think we've we've got so many songs to choose from such a wealth of stuff that it's, it's difficult to be pinpointed. But um, anyway, that's it. Thank you, Al. You Cheers, know, mate. Al mentions the number of the Beast record. And what I always found amazing about Number of the Beast, beyond the brilliance that, he, that it is as an album, is that it's incredibly rare that you have an album that is so iconic, not only for the band, but just in the genre. And maybe the song that's been played the least or that anybody ever talks about is the first song on the record, Invaders. Yeah, I must admit, I don't think it's, you know, and I can say that because I, I wrote the song, so <laughs> I, I don't think it's one of my strongest songs, really. Um, I think it's all right. Yeah. It's not a bad song, but um, it's it doesn't stand up really to the rest of the album. But I think when you're making an album at the time, you don't really... You just think you're writing decent songs, and you don't really think if one's way better than the others. You get a, a general feeling, but um, looking back on it, I think yeah, it, it wasn't maybe as strong as some of the others. But then I also thought that about um, Gangland was supposed to be the B side of the single, and Total Eclipse was, should have been on the album, and I, mm. and I think that would have made it a stronger album. Um, have you guys played Invaders live ever? Yeah, we did. Back in the day we when did. the record yeah, we came out? we opened up with it back in the day. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad opener. But no, it's not a bad it's, song it's either. Bad it's song. just it's just maybe in contrast to the rest of the record. And what's what's odd about it is it opens the record. You know, usually you said you felt it's not one of your best songs. That Usually that would probably be track eight or nine. But Well, I think it's because it was a, a, you know, a fast-paced song. Um, yeah. And we just felt it opened the album well. Um, so it's sort of in your face, really. But uh, yeah, looking back, I think, but you, we don't really look back too much, and we really you can't do that. You just an album is a statement of where you are at the time, and that's the end of it. But um, yeah, I, I suppose it's not as strong as some of the others. But some there, people like it. 
there's so much made of maiden set lists on every show, every tour that you do, whether it's a lot of new stuff or whether it's like Legacy of the Beast or whatever it may be. You said last time I w- that you were on with me that a lot the set list the, the the planning of the set list comes down to what exactly what is the process going into a tour because pretty much when you decide on one it stays that way for the whole tour right yeah I mean it might change um, slightly one song or something like that if we feel a song's not working well where it is in the set we might move it around but usually we don't drop stuff very often um, it's only if we feel it's not working too good but. In general, it's it's usually uh, me and Bruce that choose the stuff together. This last time it wasn't. It was actually I thought it was Bruce, and I got I got told off because it was Rod. <laughs> Rod told me off. Oh, it was bloody me. I was like, oh, I didn't know. And um, anyway, Rod went with Bruce and suggested most of the stuff, and then we sort of fine tuned it from there. But um, so far, I don't really care whose idea it is. Really, if it's, if it's a good idea, then you know, it's fine. Yeah. Well, there's so much to pick from. That's always a it's always a tough thing. Let's say hello to John, who's in New York. John, you're on with Steve Harris. Hi, Steve. Yes, my question for you is: Would Iron Maiden ever do a live full concert along with a live recording with the symphony orchestra, just like uh, Metallica, Scorpions, and Deep Purple did? That's a good question. Um, to be honest, we've never never thought of it. It's never actually come up in conversation, but that doesn't mean it's uh, never happened. Uh, but we have never really actually thought about that really but yeah not a bad idea would you 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 would you like you'd like to do that play with an orchestra well i've seen stuff on the line uh where there's been orchestras playing our stuff and it sounds great Mm. so you never know it could and there is and of course you've made music that has orchestration in it something like blood brothers and things like that would really lend themselves brilliantly to that i think yeah some of the later stuff more than the early stuff possibly but um yeah, I mean, don't know. Do you listen to classical music? A bit here and there. Yeah, not you know, not not loads, but um, yeah, some. You you, I know you love obviously classic hard rock, metal, and stuff like that. But you keep up with new things as well. Yeah, I try to, and I mean, uh, I don't have loads of time to listen to new stuff, but um, you know, my kids will play me stuff and say, check check this out or whatever. I mean, obviously, we heard Ghost and liked them and took them on tour with us, and so you know, we try and help new bands out and stuff. But yeah. Yes. And your son, your son's band was just opening, right? Yeah, the Raven Age. Raven Age. Yeah, they're doing really good. In fact, they're starting a tour tonight in Copenhagen, supporting uh, Alter Bridge. Oh, okay. Well, I love Alter Bridge as well. Great band. And Alter Bridge are doing some gigs with us in uh, in Europe next year. Oh, awesome. Okay, very cool. Let's talk to Wes, who's in Florida. Wes, you're on with Steve Harris. Hey, Wes. Um, hey, I- Wes. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, um, actually, I'm blind. Wes, you got a question, though. All right, we'll come back to Wes. We'll see what we can uh, we can figure out with Wes. Uh, this is Brian in Minnesota. Hi, Brian. Hey, Steve. Uh, great to talk to you, uh, to have this opportunity. Um, congratulations on the new uh, British Lion release. Looking forward to hearing that. January 17th. Cheers, Mike. February 17th. January, January 17th. Yeah. January. (laughs) Hey, Steve, I had a chance to see you with Iron Maiden for the very first time this past August in St. Paul. And let me tell you, I was blown away. I ended up uh, with a main floor ticket right down by the barrier there. And, uh, oh, my God, you guys melted my face that night. (laughs) Yeah, cheers. Anyways, I managed to recover successfully. Thank you very much. 
And my question for you is, um, what do you foresee, or if and when do you foresee another new Iron Maiden studio album? Um, well, Bruce, we talked about it fairly recently, and Bruce was saying to me, you know, how many more albums you want to do? And I said, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's up to all of us, isn't it, really? But I think everyone's keen to do more stuff. So that's a, I think that's a really good positive thing, and I was glad to hear that, that he was so keen to do more stuff. So um, I'm sure we'll, there'll be more albums in the future as long as we're able to do them. Well, and of course, the last record was a double album, was quite an undertaking with the Book of Souls. So you... you, you where where do you go from there? Do you, you can either go one way or the other. You could go to a 40-minute, a quick, concise record, or you could go to a triple record. 40 minutes is not going to happen. Can't see that. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to do it, right? That's not going to no. get it done. And Bruce is doing well, right? I mean, it, people are amazed at how well he sang on this tour. He's singing incredibly, he's considering he's what in, he's been through. He's doing great. He's enjoying life. And yeah, it's all good. Yeah, and he's happy and, and just uh, sounding amazing. Let's say hello to uh, Steve, who is in Michigan. Hey, Steve, go ahead. You're on with Steve Harris. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, big Maiden fan. Love you guys. You personally are the pinnacle of metal. <laughs> Cheers, mate. What's your question, um, Steve? You, uh, why wasn't Total Eclipse put on Number of the Beast? Because it was all a bit of a mad rush, and it was all crazy, and even the, the, on Gangland, the second solo got missed off. It was just mad. We were just rushing just to get the album done, because we had a British tour coming up straight after that, and we were worried we weren't going to get the album finished in time, and it was just all a bit bit mad. So um, it was just crazy time, and trying to get things out the door, and we had to release a single to, be, to have something out before the tour. And um, basically, we we basically chose the wrong one to put on. We afterwards we realised that once the album was kind of done, but it was too late. I know you got to get out of here, but one one last thing for me that while we're talking about it, is there an album when you look back on all the Iron Maiden albums? Is there one that you wish you could do over that you could have back, even if you could remix, re-record, add things, take away? Is there one you felt that you could have improved on? I don't think it's um, a good idea to go back and mess with history, really, because I think even if you got an album, you think maybe could have been better or whatever, uh, for whatever reason. Um, you've got people that get into those albums at, at the time, and sometimes it's because it might be the first album they get into, and it becomes their favourite album. And I think you, it's, it's almost sacrilege to go back and change what's happened in the past. That's not to say that we would never do anything like that. I mean, I think it's quite interesting to to maybe do something like that, project like that, but... Um, again, it's time, but I, I, I'm not sure I should mess with history, really. It's amazing to think 20 years since Brave New World and Bruce and Adrian coming back. That's scary. It's Because cra- I came to England and I interviewed you guys for a radio special in your complex there. And I, I, it seems like yesterday and it's 20 years next year, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Since Brave New World, which is just absolutely crazy. All right. Well, I know you got to get out of here. I can't thank you enough for coming in. Great to see you as always. Appreciate it. And uh, British Lion, everybody, out on January 17th, the second album, The Burning, BritishLionUK.com for the tour dates and the information. Uh, Pre-order the record. If you go and buy a ticket to go see the band live, you will also get a download of the record as well. And if I don't see you sooner, I'll see you on uh, on the ship. Yeah, see you on the ship. On the Monsters of Rock cruise, and we'll hopefully be able to grab Steve and have a few more words with him from the, uh, from the high seas. Good to see you, man. Take care, okay? And you, Mike. Cheers. Huge thanks to Steve Harris. Always great to visit with him. Check out the British Lion album coming out in January. 
and look forward to, if you're outside of the U.S., more Iron Maiden touring and also seeing British Lion touring also next year. Thank you all for listening. Remember, the interviews on this podcast originated on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard daily on Volume Channel 106, live 2 to 4 Eastern, replaying 10 to midnight Eastern, video and audio on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you are already uh, and you are not listening or a subscriber, please come on board and join us and get involved with my daily rock talk. You only get a tiny sample here on the podcast. Thanks to Katie Irizarry for putting it all together and producing. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And remember, if you're listening on the 21st, November 21st, tonight I'm in L.A. at the Rainbow, uh, broadcasting from the patio, 7 to 9 Pacific. And Saturday, I'm in Tulsa at the IDL Ballroom, and that will be with Vixen and the Iron Maidens. And oh, yeah, one other thing to tell you. I got a couple speaking things. Let me tell you about real quick here before we wrap up. I want to uh, remind you about a couple things coming up in December that I have, including the annual That Metal Show Christmas Party, which is always so much fun. And that is happening, as usual, at Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey. And that'll be on December 20th. Myself, Don, and Jim getting together with everybody, having some drinks, some live music. And also, on December 14th, I'm in Erlanger, Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati, for a speaking Q&A show at Peacock's Lounge. December 14th, Erlanger, Kentucky, which I'm told is right by Cincinnati. So come on out and join me. Uh, for those appearances, the final appearances of December. Also, a thank you to those who are based or know anything about Switzerland. I'm going to Zurich in a couple of weeks, and I asked people to email me if they had any tips or anything like that going on a family vacation. So thanks to those who did. Eddie at eddytrunk.com if you'd like to email me. All right, you guys have a good week. I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode. (laughs) 